Do you actually not like ketchup on your craft dinner? Why would you put ketchup on craft dinner? Like you're a moron. Like I like it, but you're a moron if you Are don't you put ketchup me? on craft dinner. Let me don't even get me started about ketchup today because I'm a little volatile. Why? In your absence in Owen Sound yeah, on Wednesday night, that rookie that I took with me on the broadcast brought shame to the OHL broadcasting brethren when he gets the best fries in the league, as per Don Cameron, and I don't think anybody disagrees, brings him up to the booth naked. Where is the ketchup? Ketchup on fries and craft dinner. No, not on craft dinner. A little bit of pepper, eat it with a fork. Ketchup. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope. Your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope Podcast. I had a box of craft dinner last night, actually, Farzy, and I put a bunch of ketchup on it. I meant to send you a picture. But I bailed on one sound for my full-time job, and uh, I didn't want to throw any more salt on the wound that I was doing things you didn't like. <laughs> glad to know. <laughs> glad to know that you're still eating so well. You missed out, actually. Glad to know I'm still employed, but carry on. Now that I say it, now that I think about it, craft Dinner, the media spread in Owen Sound on Wednesday. I don't know what was going on, but there was some kind of rice, sausage, peppers, stir-fry thing going on. Really? Oh! Let me tell you. Decent. And we left Mike the Moose Reeves back in Waterloo Region. He didn't make this trip. Mick Kozlowski, a former driver of the Kitchener Rangers bus, comes out of retirement. And you'll remember Mick's specialty because I've got my sweet tooth, right? So by the time I got through pregame work and got to the media room, Mick would always have some sort of sweet either he brought with them or he grabbed it from the table. Sure enough, I walk into the media room and there's a cookie sitting there on it serviette Mick's I, a good guy I know Mick was there he texted me he said <laughs> Fairweather Pope <laughs> he's uh, not wrong while at home doing work uh, I listened to the game listened to the broadcast but I synced it up with my uh, Rogers any place where you can watch your Rogers uh, cable anywhere threw it up on the iPad while doing some work paused the broadcast waited for a whistle that's the easiest way to do it you wait for a whistle you pause the TV Radio's right there. I had you guys synced up to perfection. You were on, on the ball, right on top of everything. It was perfect. Well, that's because in Owen Sound, you are literally on top of everything. You have to lean over to see the ice right below, and it's a small barn, very cozy, intimate atmosphere, and Kitchener Rangers rolling right along. If I am Dale DeGray, the general manager of the Owen Sound attack, I am offering ownership stakes to Mike McKenzie to trade Jacob Ingham to Owen Sound. Speaking of Dale DeGray... <laughs> Comments he made to Scott Wheeler over at The Athletic have prompted a bit of a conversation between you and I. We'll get to that a little bit later in this podcast. Also, both goaltenders last night, as we record this, according to the shot clock, faced 45 up Mm -hmm. at the Bayshore. Probably, maybe. But our shot totals being inflated in some rinks around this league. We'll talk about that. We've also got a great feature interview this week. My goodness gracious, a guy that in my opinion, in my opinion was part of arguably the coolest, the most interesting trade in OHL history. It's not Steve Mason. It's got to be up there, though, doesn't it? <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. Okay, and I just think the Steve Mason deal is fantastic well, too. Don't anyway. I know it. <laughs> Sorry, Rangers now you got fans. everybody all fired up. <laughs> Poor Don Cameron just uh, turned over in his I grave. Know. He still hasn't forgiven Pete DeBoer I for don't that blame deal. Him. Anyway, we want to start though. Speaking of goaltenders, and this has come up. I, I was actually, to be honest with you, a little embarrassed when I listened to our podcast because, of course, you know, you, me, our mothers listen to our podcast. Yes. Few others, I think. By the way, Farwell and Pope at gmail.com. You want to send us an email? At Farwell underscore OHL and at underscore Chris Pope on Twitter. So we started last week's podcast with the biggest story in the league this week is Stan Butler stepping down as head coach and general manager in North Bay. And we recorded that on Thursday afternoon, about six or seven hours before Tucker Tynan was injured gruesomely in that game versus London. Tynan, of course, the goaltender for the Niagara Ice Dogs. So Friday, by the time the episode was put up online, the biggest story in the league was Tucker Tynan. The good news about the story is that Tucker is back home in Chicago, resting comfortably over the holidays. He's on the road to recovery. Everything has worked out well. The conversation that has emerged from this, Chris, 
is whether or not we need to do more to protect goaltenders. And there would be two branches I think you could go on this. There's a little fork in the road. Is it crashing creases? Is it equipment for goaltenders? You played goal in this game of ours. What do you think? I, I honestly, I, I, I could be wrong and people will disagree with me and that's fine. Please do. Again, at underscore Chris Pope. I just don't think that... I think it's a fluke. I really do. It was a fluke accident. Um, someone asked me, I mean, I mentioned it a couple times, have asked me, did you ever think about that while playing goal? No. You thought about the puck. <laughs> when two people were driving the net hard, your main worry was if they bump into me, if they are coming into me, I need to keep that puck out because it's still a goal. They're probably going to count it. If they both come into me, they were tied up, lose their uh, footing and come into me and the puck goes in the net. I need to keep that puck out. You weren't worried about anything else. If you had time to react and the puck wasn't there, obviously you got out of the way. But you don't think about, oh, is a skate going to catch me? If anything, you think your gear is going to protect you in that sense or get your blocker up or your pad up, then you're fine. The pants nowadays don't have as much protection around that uh, upper thigh groin area as they, uh, well, they never did. <laughs> um, as players, player pants and goalie pants, they're really thin up there. Do Does... Do the equipment makers need to put Kevlar in there? I don't know the technology that could be put in into equipment. Uh, they do have those Kevlar socks that helps take away some of the cuts. Um, Eric Carlson, he got his Achilles cut by a skate not too many years ago, if you remember. Um, I just think it, it was horrible to see, but I don't know if something needs to be done or something needs to change after every incident. We saw a couple skates, obviously, um, was it Richard Zednick who took a skate to the neck? Um, and then what? Oh, so do we need neck guards? Do all players need to wear neck guards with Kevlar in it now? I just think it was a fluke accident. I feel for Tucker. I can't imagine and the family like watching that incident happen. And again, we it's been echoed a million times, but we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't echo it. Congrats. To, to everybody that was a part of that that saved his life like that that's a life or death situation training staff Doug Stacy out of uh, London and co for the Knights and then everybody in Niagara it's just a scary situation all over and as soon as you see something like that happen obviously the paramedics on scene and the first responders and everyone that took part uh, a crazy situation um, and a stick tap to everybody involved because at the end of the day they did they saved his life on that score and and I agree with you part way on what this means for the game and goaltenders and whatnot but I was speaking with a scout the night after this happened and just with what you were saying those who were first on scene be it the medics that are in the building plus the training staff this scout I was talking to 24 hours after the incident said in all honesty not to make light of anything but if I'm going to have a medical emergency I want to have that medical emergency in a hockey rink Is there a safer place, quite frankly, other than perhaps the emergency room of a hospital? You're pretty well insulated in a hockey rink. So couldn't agree more, and it deserves to be echoed another thousand times after this. As far as what this means to the game and goaltenders, I'm with you on crease crashing and the incredibly fluke nature of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times? Honestly, I I can honestly say a thousand times, I promise you, in my life, I have seen this happen, if not more. Yep. And that's not an exaggeration. 100%. And, and this is the first time I've seen anything like this. So fluke nature, absolutely. Do we de- need to do more to protect goalies from players that crash the crease? I quite honestly say no. I think the rules of the game are already pretty good in that regard. There is a goaltender interference rule. Officials are not afraid to call it. I think we're good there. On the equipment side, I do think we could do a little bit better because we can, right? You already mentioned the Kevlar socks. Those weren't around 40 years ago. You mentioned Richard Zednick. Players are wearing neck guards now because it could happen. So why don't we have something? I'm led to believe that CCM, if it doesn't have something already, it's very close and Under Armour is working on something. Now, having never been a goaltender, I don't know how that would change the feel. And I recognize that particularly for goaltenders, there's a whole lot of comfort that has to be a part of this. But if we do have the technology to create the equipment that could protect against something even so fluky, why wouldn't we do it if we can do it without unduly burdening 
the goaltender. And there are those hockey socks, right? The players wear sure. with Kevlar. Yeah. But for a goaltender, there's very few, if any, goalies anymore that wear the actual hockey socks underneath their pads. They're wearing uh, like Under Armour gitch, like uh, really tight pants underneath, or and then a sock over top of those pants if they choose to. There's goalies out there that are wearing like a, a a coverall, if you will, underneath, and not not wearing socks in their skates. So what do you do about those? You can't do anything. It's an unprotected part of the body in behind the pads and in behind the pants. If listen, if they can put the Kevlar in the pants, sure. Why? Like you'd be crazy to say no. Why wouldn't you want it? I just don't know if now we need to have that. For lack of a better explanation, that the lynch mob, everybody online being like, "We need this now. We need this now. Everything needs to change." Just take a step back. It didn't. It, this isn't a thing that happens all the time. It was a total fluke incident. I feel for the goaltender involved and i i if if the ccm and under armor and everybody else that makes goalie gear and, and hockey equipment and hockey clothes can put kevlar in of course you want that i just don't know if we need to start pushing pushing it hard i'm sure they're already working on it everybody wants to make the game safer those skates are flying everywhere and the game's getting faster and faster i think there's bigger issues that they need to worry about regarding safety than that sure but what do you think happened and what do you think the reaction was the first time Jacques Plant came onto the ice with that weird thing on his face? What is that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, I'm so with you. Somebody, I think, will figure it out and sure. start wearing the cut-proof gitch for goalies, and then all of a sudden, it's going to catch on. I completely agree. And I think if it's out there, we should all be wearing it. Anytime you play men's league, you should be wearing it. Sure. Right? For sure. <laughs> Probably more, more so. so. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you'd be crazy not to. I just don't want this to all of a sudden turn into that. You know what I mean? That, that everyone's like, we need change. We need change now. Why isn't this implemented? Because it's a fluke incident. It doesn't happen all the time. You, you hate to see it happen ever, but it is a fluke incident. And if there's a way to prevent that in the future, I am 100% on board. Of course. Why wouldn't you be? All right. Uh, let's stick with goaltenders because there's a goaltender who was a premier goaltender in this league won a memorial cup and just got himself a new job in this league before we talk to him i need to know the history here like how are you guys buddies well, i've told you the story i don't think so when i was at golf storm training camp that's where i met adam dennis he was the starter for the golf storm i thought that's where you meant you met dan paillet I did, and yeah. this is the same story. Okay, where we were on the same inter squad team, Adam Dennis and I. They put the best goaltender with the worst goaltender. Let you read who was who. Um, and Dan Pye walked in the room uh, during intermission and said to Adam Dennis, he sat down next to him and said, "Next time I get a breakaway." And Dennis said to Pye, "Goes Pope's in net." So Dan Pye comes and sits next to me and says, "Next time I get a breakaway, and I will get a breakaway, I'm going to fake the shot, go backhand shelf, so you can stop me." I'm like, I'm going to stop Dan Pye? See, that's the only part of the story I remember. I forgot that yeah. Adam Dennis had pawned yeah, Pye off on you. Okay, And then Pye, we went out for that next period. Pye won the draw back. They go D to D. He circles in his own zone, picks up the pass, breakaway. <laughs> Seriously, if memory serves me, it took probably 15 seconds before we had a breakaway. And I came out to challenge, and oh, did he ever make me look silly. Bar down, no doubt. He came into the room the next intermission and said, I told you what I was going to do. I'm well aware, Pies, I'm well aware. Anyway, just hanging around. I played Junior B that year in Guelph and hanging around the team and whatnot, getting to know those guys, going to school with them all, living in Guelph. Um, Denny was one of the super, super nice guys. And that whole team, they were. it was insane how, how well I was treated, even though it's just like a Junior B kid. They, you know, I, I was looking up at these people, like the Ryan Garlocks who we talked about. Tyler Haskins and I became really close. Adam Dennis's goaltending partner, Danny Taylor, and I, uh, we're in many of the same classes in school. Him, Tails and I became super close. One of the funniest guys I've ever met. I got to get back in touch with him because we need him on this podcast. That guy is hysterical. So funny. So that's why uh, I got the, the friendship that I have with Adam Dennis. He was a great guy to be around. Here is our conversation with the new general manager of the North Bay Battalion. I guess a congratulations and is in order. How's it feel to uh, get the official title or take or get the assistant title taken away and now general manager up in North Bay? Uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, guys. It's uh, it's not been the way that I really wanted to get the title for the first time, but uh, excited nonetheless. We were really happy to 
to have the puck drop against Erie on uh, last week, uh, just to, so we could start focusing on hockey again. But it's, it's not been an easy time, but uh, nonetheless, now that we're through it, excited to get started. No doubt, not an easy time considering the circumstances, Adam. But at the same time, you also had the opportunity to work alongside and, and I'm sure learn a lot from a guy like Stan Butler. What's that experience like and how has it maybe even accelerated your own development as a GM in this league? Well, certainly. And, and I think the, the best thing for me was that Stan, Stan let me do things. He, he let me tr- uh, you know, work in some, some areas that, that other guys may not have had the opportunity to do so. Let me fall on my face and you know let me uh let me learn from mistakes which was which was awesome for me anything that i was going through for the first time he'd been through it at least five times so uh just just having that experience and being able to have somebody that i could go to is really crucial for me obviously many people know listening about uh, stan's departure from the team as both head coach and general manager how did you hear about that news and what was your initial reaction uh we we heard about it through through our ownership um, I, I mean, anytime your team has, has five wins through 28, it's something that's in the back of all of our minds. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, regardless of that, it was still a little bit of a shock, just, just given the, the history and how long Stan had been with the team. We know in this league, it's, I mean, it, it's so easy, and a lot of fans have a lot of fun being uh, armchair GMs, right? They, they play, the, it's like a fantasy league. And I know you got a lot of pieces to move around as a general manager, but recruitment is absolutely a part of that too. And you're in one of those northern communities. I wonder how much you lean on your time with player recruitment with the OHL head offices in your role now, or you plan to lean on that as a, as a general manager in this league. Yeah, well, to be honest, it was it, having to go through that process with the league was really one of the things that attracted to me to North Bay the most was. Uh, I was able to come up here and see see the facilities, see the town, see the way that the team was embraced. Um, and I just saw nothing but potential. Um, so for me, it was really exciting because I know um, as somebody that's grown up as a Toronto guy and, and go, gone through the GTHL, there's a lot of ring talk that goes on and a lot of misinformation. So, um, you know, the common things that we hear is, whoa, North Bay. Um, what is that? Two flights. <laughs> the reality is, from the GTA, we're 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 right in the middle of the pack in terms of distance. We have a great highway um, that you don't have to white knuckle, even when it's snowing. It's pretty good condition, and uh, I, I think when people realize that we aren't Thunder Bay, we are North Bay, and we're a lot closer than they realize that we do have a lot of great things to offer. Um, university, college, uh, we got more outdoor rinks than anywhere in Canada. Uh, there's a lot of good things and a lot of great reasons to, to come to North Bay. And I think the most important for us is just making sure that people really get the, the right messaging. If you want a copy of that answer, Denny, I can send it to you and then you can yeah. send that out to recruits. Jeez, you got me <laughs> sold on North Bay. Um, yeah. <laughs> you spent some time obviously behind the bench as well. What led you to wanting to uh, take more of a, an office direction rather than a coaching side? Well, for me, the general manager has always kind of been in my sight lines. Um, I've never really considered myself too much of a coach, to be honest with you. It was really more just to learn the game, get get a feel for what that side of it was like. So it, it could really help on the other side. Uh, last year, I got a little bit more into the scouting and the drafting, and I, I felt it was really important just to understand what went on on the ice, uh, you know, what we needed to look for in forwards defense. Um, goaltending was something that I was comfortable with, but, I mean, as, as you learn through this league, it's, it's one of the toughest positions to draft. So just learning from that side as well. Um, and seeing it from the perspective behind the bench, I thought was crucial for me. I always wonder about the master plan. As a player, when you're going through your pro career, which was primarily spent there in Europe, was there a point along the way where you decided that you wanted to stay in the game and this is the capacity that you wanted to use to stay in it? That Did you envision yourself, in other words, as a general manager in the OHL and perhaps one day beyond? Yeah, the, you know what... I think it really started when I did go over to Europe for the first time. Uh, I was doing my schooling. There was a couple of different ways that I wanted to go, but the, the most important thing was to stay in hockey. Um, the, the, the managing is always just kind of, uh, it's always jumped out for me. Uh, and from every side of it, I just think that there's so many ways you can affect a team. And um, for me, it just it just made a lot more sense with my personality and how I like to do things. I get to be a little bit more analytical, get to look things from a little bit bigger picture. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot more motivating guys than I am, that's for sure. <laughs> you, you mentioned the position of goaltending. Obviously, you, you're you well knowledge or, knowledge or knowledgeable about the, that position. You got two young guys up there. What do you think? 
Well, we added an, an older guy just recently, but I mean, we had a lot of time in the, for those two young guys, which is why we, we gave them the opportunity at the start of the year. And really the, the toughest thing for us is, was moving out a good guy in Christian Perbu at the start of the year. Um, but I, I think what it spoke to was how much confidence we had in them. And uh, our, our thought process was, you know, understanding that they didn't have uh, as much experience as, the, uh, as other guys, that they could make up for it in talent and a little bit of gumption. Um, and that's still the thought. Now, we brought in Cam Labore, uh last week, who, who's got a wealth of experience in the league, and really what he does is he settles things back there. Uh, when we go into an opposing arena for the first time, um, we have a guy that's been to Peterborough, for example, and can explain what the corners are like or, um, you know, the atmosphere in London or Kitchener and what that's like. And I think that's really the most important thing is the experience that, that um, you get when you do play the games and you go to the arena. So just having that a little bit of extra veteran uh, uh, guidance is, is, I think, going to be crucial for our two young guys. I want to go back to your time in this league, Adam, and you were a part of what I think I would argue is one of the most memorable trades this league has ever seen when the London Knights went out to acquire you from the Guelph Storm simply because they did not want to play against you. You had their number, you beat them the previous year as a member of the Storm, and they basically went out the next year and said, we're not risking anything on our road to a Memorial Cup. We have to get this guy so we don't have to play against him. When you first went to London, did you just drop your bags in the parking lot and tell Dale Hunter to pick him up for you? Because you're the man at that <laughs> point, right? Like, come on, you want me that bad, eh? It was pretty funny because, I, I don't know, you guys obviously remember the noof back in those days, but uh, there's other kinds of message boards now. But I definitely remember reading my name and a couple of the rumors, which I don't think is good for any player to read that kind of thing. But... <laughs> Um, back in the day, I, I read it and saw my name in a number of rumors, and uh, I, I loved Guelph. I never really wanted to leave Guelph. Um, what was really exciting for me is when I started to hear that London might have interest, who was hosting the, the Memorial Cup, and uh, the way that we went out the year before in three straight games, it just left a, a little taste that that uh, you know mission wasn't quite accomplished. Uh, leading up to that, I, I mean, I know Dave Barr had, had asked if I would be interested, and. I kind of made made it known to him, well, if London was calling, that'd be really interesting, but I do understand where we're at, and, um, you know, I, I'd be open to a trade to try and, you know, further my career. So I had heard a couple other teams had interest on the East just because London was, was um, hosting, you know, the other team uh, on the East just had to get into the final. So I know a lot of teams were pushing on that side. Didn't really know what was going to happen then trade deadline day came up and, and of course everybody who you haven't spoken to in about three months calls you that day <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know you're just waiting for that one call finally I got the call from Dave Barr to come in and, and he just handed me the phone and Mark Hunter was on the other end and asked you know pretty much what time can you get there for practice and uh, you know the rest is history it was a lot of fun um, we had a, a serious rivalry the year before playing against those guys and uh, there was a couple of, you know, definitely some, some bad blood first coming in the room, but credit to that group. They they welcomed myself and, and Dan Girardi in with open arms. And uh, I mean, I guess that's what you need if, uh, if you're going to win championships is coming together in, in that short of a time. How long did it take once you got in that room? Because you mentioned that rivalry. Anybody that was around the league at that time knew it was extremely heated and there was a lot of hate in those games. And then you walk in. How long did it take you to feel comfortable? Uh, probably a week or two. I think once you start playing games, it, it all kind of comes together because you're focused on the same thing. But uh, it didn't take long, really. I mean, getting in there and just, just getting to play hockey kind of eased the transition. I know you're a competitor, and your numbers would always matter. You want to stop every puck. But let's be honest, that was pretty much a super team that you were playing with that year. And we could argue eras and whatnot, best team the league has ever seen. But did you ever get the feeling you just stroll out there and you know, even if you let in four, they're going to score five or six for you anyway. That's an incredible hockey team to play behind. Yeah, and you know what? I I think it's one of the toughest places to play as a goalie as well. I do think that most nights it didn't matter who was going to be in that net. But I think the toughest thing being a goalie for the London Knights is the, he's trying to eliminate the thoughts that I, I, I can't screw this up for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it, it's something that's hard, even though as simple as it sounds to think positively and, you know, you're just part of the team as everybody else. Those thoughts do certainly come through your head, especially when your team's up by 30, 40 shots and the, the game's one nothing. You know there's going to be a time when they come back down and there's going to be a high-quality chance and you've got to be ready for it or, or you look like uh, – you know, you go from the penthouse to the outhouse pretty quickly as a goalie, especially in London. You mentioned a name a little while ago, Danny, I want to ask you about, because you were traded to London with Dan Girardi. 
And mm-hmm. Girardi, at the end of his playing career, there was talk of him going to U Sports, CIS at the time. He turns it around, goes to the East Coast and then the American League, and then knocks out over 900 games in the National Hockey League. Did you ever think G would make it that far? I mean, you don't. I guess I probably should have, um, looking at just what he did for every team that I was on. Um, you don't really think like that. I mean, when you're when you're a teenager, you think about the, the what the NHL teams recognize with the the draft and um, you know who's drafted, who signs. That that seems to be what occupies most teenagers. But having played behind Dan Girardi, uh, he probably killed my save percentage more than anybody with the amount of shots that he blocked. And <laughs> I think he just did everything well. Um, you know, he was offensive enough. He was a great shutdown guy. He was fearless. I remember that whole Memorial Cup. He played with a broken hand. Um, just a, like a, you know, he, he just did everything well. And I think sometimes when you don't stand out at one thing like like Danny Sabret did with his plus minus, or Brian Rodney did with his offense, and then Mark Mathot just being that that consummate defensive defenseman, it was kind of where's what kind of an identity does Danny have? And uh, he certainly made a name for himself over the next 10 years. But, yeah, you don't hear too many guys like that anymore that, that sign a straight East Coast Hockey League contract and then within two, three years they're in the NHL. But uh, he's a special guy and an amazing teammate and uh, just, just thrilled to, to watch the career that he did have. I want to ask you another name, but it's not a teammate. It was a rival. When I say Justin Peters, what comes to mind? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever sees the other fight that I had. <laughs> oh, there were more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know what's funny is uh, um, Justin Peters actually is the guy that I, I would consider a friend. We played against each other a long time. Um, I worked out with him in the summer, so knew what I was getting myself into. Um, funny story about that game is we were, we were actually losing 3 nothing, and it's in London. And the way that whole thing started was the backup goalie on uh, Plymouth, I believe, last week, Garay, G-A-R-A-Y. Um, he kind of started the whole thing where he, he picked up Josh Bolyu's elbow pad. Bolyu got into it with him. So I'm thinking, okay, backup's getting tossed. Peters has a shutout. Like, they're going to have to put a defenseman in that. There's another <laughs> game, a period and a half to go. You're the consummate team guy, Denny. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a lot of time to think about the story. Um, but I asked him at first, and he's like, no, i got a shutout. So I just, you know, I, I figured I had to get him to do something. So I took my helmet off in London, and I, I just spun it at center ice. <laughs> and then the crowd started to go, and I saw his take his helmet off, and he wasn't impressed. So I knew it wasn't going to be a fun <laughs> little while after that. But moral of the story, their backup goalie didn't get tossed, and we ended up losing 3 nothing. So... Um, <laughs> All for nothing. <laughs> okay, okay, but now tell us the other one. Uh, the other one was actually when I first got traded to London. Um, it was against Peterborough, against Jeff McDougal, and it was another line brawl, my, pretty much my first ever fight. Um, and I thought that I was tough at that point. But then <laughs> you go into the uh, – uh, we were at the OHL Awards, and I saw Jeff there. And then they start to hand out the awards, and, and they start talking about this one guy who's been reading the sick kids all year and going into schools. So he was humanitarian oh. in the year, so I <laughs> didn't feel so tough after that. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> you, <laughs> going back to that Peters fight, Peters fight, you said that uh, you worked out with uh, Peters in the offseason. There's lots of talk about his workout regiment that Ron, Rod Brindamore actually called his dad once and asked him, what is he doing in the offseason because I want to do it. <laughs> what was it like working out with Petey? Well, he always did a lot more reps than I did. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, he he he's always worked hard. He uh, the, the whole Peters family I know is a very hard working family and uh I mean it's it's he, as soon as you're going to uh, rest for a second Justin's going to pass you. We've talked about your time in London before that in Guelph. Um <clears throat> excuse me, during that run you guys acquired a player that uh drew some eyes in the dressing room and some eyes in the media and Cam Jansen. There's a ton of stories about this guy. What was it like when Jansen first walked into the room? It was like we got a, a WWE superstar in the dressing room. It was awesome. Uh, kind of took, and, and I remember, you know, you go back to the London Knights, and, and the biggest thing that we had issues with was, was going up against guys like Chris Bain and Danny Bois. So, really, we had to bring in a guy like Cam just to, to let, let our skilled players, you know, really have a little bit of space. Um, Cam was awesome. Another great team guy. Um, made everything easy. He knew what, knew what he was there to do. Um, 
and he, you know, he could do a lot of other things as well. He was a great guy in the room. Um, I'm sure a lot of the stories are, you might have made up most of them, but <laughs> he's an awesome guy uh, that I think if we didn't add, we probably don't win a championship that year. I can't help but think, Adam, you know, hearing you use a term like line brawl, and it, and I don't say that in a negative way, but in, in the big picture, it's not all that long ago. We're talking 10, 15 years when this stuff was happening, and I wonder what your view is of the game as we see it today and maybe how much it compares to that European game where you played so much pro. Well, I, I mean, I think it is a skill game. It's always been a skill game, and I think now um, having young kids that, that are seem to be get, grasping the game and, and looking to, to get into themselves. I think it's great changes. I, I think it's necessary. And I know maybe uh, for some, the entertainment value would go down a little bit, but I think you make up for that in the skill level. Um, I remember coming into training camp and it was great as a goalie because I know I didn't ever had to deal with any of these guys, but there was always, you know, one or two guys that were there for one reason. And that was to make the team to get out for their 30 seconds of game and get into a fight. And, um, just eliminating that culture, I think, has been a big step for hockey, and I think it's important. Um, you know, it, 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 those days are gone, and I think with the education that we have in concussions and, and the brain, um, it's crazy not to do these changes. Your time in the OHL, you played on quite a few skilled teams. We talked about that London team of might be the best team ever assembled. You look at the OHL championship run in Guelph with Dan Paillet, Matt Ryan, Martin St. Pierre, the likes. What was it like as a goalie during those practices? <laughs> Frustrating. <laughs> well, it's hard to, to argue with the guys to the you know stop going uh, bar down every time you're putting it <laughs> barring in. So you know the argument was ever if they hit me in the, the throat or the chin that I had something to say, but if they're going barring in, then it was kind of tough. So I didn't really have much to say. But for the one two guys that were in practice that didn't have the skill, they definitely kept it below the belt. <laughs> <laughs> were, were there any guys on those teams that? Uh, you thought this guy has pro written all over him, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Mm. I mean, Ryan Garlock's definitely one um, that came in as a first round pick and very good career, very good player. Just maybe a couple injuries would have held him back. He for sure was one that I thought uh, had a pretty good chance. Brian Rodney, I thought would have a much longer career as well, but again, injuries and Danny Saret too, with some pretty special players that I got the chance to play with. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch as well. Trudell's another one that was very good in Guelph. Um, yeah, there was a bunch. I kind of want to bring this back full circle to where we sort of started. In fact, just before we started the recording, we were talking that, you know, your, your North Bay Battalion are getting ready for a game tonight. We're catching you in the afternoon of a game day. No big deal, just the London Knights that are in town. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you referenced that the team has been struggling this year, and that led to the changes that puts you in the general manager's chair. What do you do, Adam, to to restore this franchise to its former glory? Has Nick Kiprios called yet? I mean, what what are we going to do? Because there's a great history of hockey there in North Bay for sure. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? I, I think first and foremost is giving the current group a chance uh, to have a clean slate. Uh, I thought going back to last week's game that we played some really good hockey, even though we won one out of two. I definitely thought we deserved a better fate on the Saturday and Sunday game. We had a controversial um, goal that, that we challenged and, and it didn't get overturned and it was probably one of those gray areas that we all see weekly on, on TV that could have gone either way um, just missing out on a point there and then in the Owen Sound game and, and their goalie was very good um, as you know goalies can steal game but I thought we deserved at least a point in that game as well so I think our team's been playing pretty well um, since the change happened and it's really just monitoring constantly evaluating uh, we've done a pretty good job of acquiring some some draft picks to to really go out and and build this thing the right way. But uh, I, I think we're not going to be uh, jumping the gun on anything. We're going to be patient. Uh, we felt like we had a great draft last year. We do feel like we have a lot of really good pieces, especially at the 2001 age group. Um, and I, I don't think we're far off. I, I, I think you know the difference between winning and losing this in this league is a very small margin, and and we're right there. So I think just you know sticking to our plan, staying patient, and and making sure that the young guys are getting opportunities to play, grow, and, and we're making sure we're evaluating along the way. You mentioned when you were traded from Guelph to London, it was Dave Barr, who was with San Jose, recently relieved of his duties, and then he handed you the phone, and it was Mark Hunter on the other side. Mm-hmm. Both former G, well, Mark now back as a GM of the London Knights. Did either one of those guys call you when you got your job, or who was the first one to call you and congratulate you? 
I tried. Dil- Dylan Hunter definitely reached out right away. I know with Mark, he's busy, and uh, obviously Dave's been busy as well. So, no, I haven't heard from either of those guys, but Mark's a guy that I keep in touch with quite regularly. Anytime I run into him at the rink, a guy that I'll just kind of bend his ear and ask a little advice to, and, you know, to his credit, he's always willing to, to do it. Maybe if he's trying to get some information out of me as well. But, uh, no, they, they both were, were great mentors for me and uh, guys that I definitely look up to. You mentioned the impact that goaltenders have on the game. Obviously, uh, you were one of the best in this league when you were in it. You've stopped a lot of pucks in your time. Did you ever have a Patrick Waugh moment where you made this incredible save and you winked at the player knowing that like you've got his number? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I, the one the other Patrick Waugh moment I had was I, I went to I actually threw a puck in my own net. Um, <laughs> In the OHL finals, like I went to, to shovel a puck through the crease and it got caught in my webbing, went um, top shelf right behind me. Luckily, we won the game, but uh, I, I thought you were coming at me with the when he held the puck up in the air and he actually didn't have it. <laughs> did the Statue uh, of I, Liberty. I like, to, I like to talk on the ice, so I, I really did. It kind of got me into the games that I didn't. Um, so I, I, I don't think I had anyone in particular. I remember Scott Shepard and I getting into it a lot when he was in London. He would always skate by my crease, put the toe of his stick, and he'd take a chunk out of my crease, or then he'd try and drink my water bottle. So I definitely let him know anytime I stopped him, that's for sure. I heard uh, in your time in Guelph, I got a couple texts when I asked some people about you. I heard you had a, a pregame ritual for a, a lunch date out of town. You and a couple guys would go for lunch. Remember what that was? Yeah, Mongolian Grill, actually. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah. What was what yeah. was on the docket for Mongolian Grill? Uh, as much as we could fit into us. <laughs> we, I think we got a little bit of a discount, too. So it was myself, Dan Pye, Dan Girardi, and Ryan Callahan would trek out to, to Cambridge and make sure that we, we, we got our money's worth. That was for sure. Did you have any of those idiosyncrasies that goaltenders always tend to have, you know, not stepping on any lines to an, you know, on and off the ice or touching each post a number of times before the game started, anything like that? Or all of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried not to. Um, so I guess if anything, I, I, I tried to do everything differently just to avoid all those crazy quirks. It's probably t- turned into a quirk in itself. Um, but no, I really tried not to. I, I never wanted anything like if I ran out of the cereal that I had to eat to mess up my mind. So I tried to really stay away from all that stuff. And uh, I just think it's stuff that's out of your control. And I never really wanted to, to add any of them to my game. When you went overseas, you ended up representing Team Italy in an Olympic qualifying tournament. What was that like? It was awesome. It was awesome. It was really cool. Uh, cool experience. Something that I always knew in my back pocket that, that I'd like to try. Um, just going over there and playing, getting to learn the language. And I, I, I do have a little bit of heritage, so I was able to acquire my passport. And it was a, it was a funny dynamic because when we were playing, it was almost a third of the team was from North America. A third of the team was uh, Italian but spoke German. The other third was Italian that spoke <laughs> Italian so it was uh it was a different dynamic but but awesome guys awesome experience really cool to to be able to say that I represented a country that uh, I know my mom was born in and it was pretty important to all of us uh to do so um we just came up short and making the Olympics would have been an unbelievable experience but uh, we ended up beating Germany and losing to Austria by a goal so um stunk but uh hey what an experience to just even put on the jersey and play in those qualifiers we all know the ultimate goal is the National Hockey League, but for a player that may not quite reach that level, uh, would you recommend Europe as a good destination? Absolutely. I mean, I, I went over after a, a hip surgery, and it was great. You never play any back-to-back games. Um, there was a couple breaks throughout the year, so my wife and I, we traveled all over, and with Ryanair, it was awesome. I mean, there's great hockey to be had, too, but just as a life experience in general, it's uh it's a pretty special place, and, and Europe in general is a lot of fun. And, you know, if you do get the chance to go over there, go see everything because uh, you can hop in a car and see a lot of cool places. Real quick, Denny, obviously a lot of the talk around this league um, lately is about the incident in Niagara uh, with Tucker Tynan taking that skate to the leg. In your Obviously equipment has changed a lot since you played, um, but do you think it, there's any... Do you think changes should be made to the goaltending equipment people are wearing now, or is this one of those one-off incident incidences that change doesn't really need to come from it? It was just a fluke. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily goalies alone. I definitely think there might be something needed in terms of a, a Kevlar sock or something, just the way the game is, the speed of it. you got sharp blades flying all over the ice. So 
Uh, it feels like not just with regards to goalies, but every couple of years we have some kind of serious laceration that, that is, you know, makes everybody think twice about what we need to look at equipment wise. So there's, there's, I'm sure there's something down the pipeline that somebody's going to profit off of, but, uh, I'm not sure uh, that, that that it's specific to goaltending. I know uh, the knee pads are important, and most of them are are, are wearing them. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. It's it's a tough one, and thankful I don't have to make it. Fair, <laughs> yeah, Adam. We just want to extend congratulations once again. Uh, despite the difficult circumstances, it's a great fit for you. We love seeing guys that played this game at you know in this league come back through it like you have now and. Uh, Best of luck up there in the North Bay. It's too bad we only get up once a year, but we'll definitely be knocking on your office door when we come up again next year. 100%, guys. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. We heard a story about Dan Girardi in that interview with Adam Dennis. Dan Girardi was playing in the Junior B loop in the GOJHL, comes into the O with Barry, then goes to Guelph, then London, signs a strictly East Coast Hockey League deal. Three years later, in the show, never looks back. My best Dan Girardi story... I was at Guelph Storm training camp with a good friend of mine, Nathan Spalling. They put us up in a hotel just off the Hamlin by Stone Road Mall. They gave us um, a, like a per diem for food because we were in the hotel for dinner and lunch and stuff. Well, we took it over to Stone Road Mall, bought candy because that, that's, that's what we were back in the day. You started this podcast by talking about your craft dinner, exactly. dinner last yeah. night. So things haven't changed no, much in no. the diet department. Exactly. So we go over to the mall. And of course, we're coming out of high school hockey. We're at an OHL tryout. We are kings of the world. So we wore our property of Guelph Storm t-shirt and our property of Guelph Storm shorts over to the mall. And <laughs> we come walking through the mall and there's Captain Nico Tuomi and Dan Girardi. And they're in normal clothes. And they see us two donkeys walking around the mall just trying to get people to say hi to us because we're wearing property of Gulf Storm shirts. I don't know if I've ever been that embarrassed in my life. <laughs> They're like, why are you guys wearing that? Uh, I just, just came from a workout. Is that why you got bags of bulk barn? <laughs> Busted. Busted oh. at Stone Road Mall. Busted. So it's interesting. Uh, a new general manager in North Bay. I do believe, I'm just going off the top of my head here, but I do believe... Dale DeGray is currently the longest tenured general manager in the Ontario Hockey League with one team, I should say. With, that would be the Owen Sound attack. And Scott Wheeler with The Athletic shared on Twitter this week a quote he got. So he was just doing a story on a kid that came over as an import player to the Quebec League. Uh, and as stories tend to go, when you dive into them, and your research, it can lead you in a variety of directions. And one of the directions it took him was into the CHL import draft itself. And Dale DeGray, according to this tweet from Scott Wheeler, is quoted as saying, basically, there are two lists. There's an A list and a B list that agents will provide when it comes to players available in the CHL import draft. And I, Dale DeGray, think I get to see the B list every year. Yikes. Yeah. A bit of an indictment of the CHL import draft. But look, it's been fairly well known for a considerable length of time that the CHL import draft is essentially an exercise for the fans and little else. Everything is kind of predetermined. It costs you a lot of money to be a player in that import draft. And everybody, no matter what your draft position is, knows pretty much who they're going to get going in because everything has been preordained and money talks and I mean talks in a pretty serious way in that draft I completely agree with you and I've heard much of the same things where it is just on one hand it's a crapshoot because you don't know if the players are going to come over and you don't really know you have to put your trust in scouts over there and scouts that you have around the National Hockey League and they talk with the agents and where, where would your player want to play and keep in mind that player doesn't have to come over at all and that's where you see some of the money talking, if you will. Um, but what other what other solution is there? Like there isn't another solution. You ha- like you do the import draft, of course. Things are going to happen. There's there's backdoor conversations and such around the OHL entry level draft. Of course, I'm going to go NCAA. Don't pick me. Yeah. Oh, London wants me. I'm going. Yeah, right? Max or, Domi or Kitchener. Right. Sure. Max Domi said. To Kingston, or was it Kingston? Yeah. Yeah, don't draft me, don't draft me, don't draft me. Dougie's still drafted him. Yeah, I'm not coming. Drafts him, flips him to London. No, you know what? I think the OHL's a great option. (laughs) Of course. There's all that kind of stuff. 
Um, it's it's as dirty as it comes, but it, it's needed. Um, and it's interesting. I I can um, stick tap to the who is it who wrote it with for the athletic Scott Wheeler. Scott Wheeler to get that kind of quote and like that information out of Dale DeGray and Dale to just come out and say, yeah, there's certain scouts with an A list and a B list, and I think I'm getting their B list. Well, that's that's huge. I, and I think he does that, Dale DeGray, because he's trying to get a little bit of traction mm-hmm. on this, right? Like I said. It, if you've been around this league long enough, you hear the rumblings around the rink boards that this is the way the CHL draft works. And in all honesty, Dale DeGray is getting that B list, if you will, because Owen Sound is a tough sell. You just heard Adam Dennis in our feature interview in this episode of the podcast talk about North Bay. Really, once you get out of Southern Ontario, once you get out of the GTA, there's a reason Mississauga still exists as a franchise, despite the fan base, because the league believes it is needed to have, it has to have a footprint in the greater Toronto area. But let's let's not joke. It, they call it the center of the universe for a reason, Toronto mm-hmm. and the greater Toronto area. And, and there's not a, it's kind of like American knowledge of Canada, right? The joke of coming up here in July with skis on the top of your car, thinking yeah. you're going to go skiing somewhere in Ontario, right? Because Americans just don't get it. It's kind of that way with Toronto and the, and the rest of the province, really. Oh, what, North Bay's not Thunder Bay? Oh, you mean, like, Ontario goes 16 hours further north than North Bay? Yes, yes, it does, right? So Dale DeGray is, is playing from a position of some weakness in a small market without a huge attractive rink to offer and a bunch of diff- different things. So maybe he's just willing to share this information to try to get some traction for a change, because I think they're... There needs to be something done here. I'm all for the best players in the world playing in this league, and I, I don't mind the you know the, the two-import maximum, that kind of thing. But if it really is a case, again, of the haves and have-nots, it's something that the league will have to address or should address. I get it, but if you're a defenseman like Axel Bergfist, for, for instance, drafted to the National Hockey League already, and you're going to come to the CHL, and your agent overseas says... The Vancouver Giants are interested. The Kitchener Rangers are interested. The Halifax Mooseheads are interested. And the Owen Sound Attack are interested. Where are you going? Yeah, your agent <laughs> is going to broker the best deal for you. Right? I get it. Like, Owen, with all due respect to the attack, they're probably falling forth. But what you have to look at, besides just that, is the cost of doing business in this league. And now, by having an import draft, just even if it were strictly on the up and up and there was no A and B list, you have to have some sort of tentacle into Europe to, to scout these players. So there's a cost for your organization, right? So you're... you're well, not necessarily. No? No. Are you not, you're not paying somebody to bird dog for you over in Europe? I don't think... You don't have to. Like, I doubt... The, to be honest, I doubt some teams are. Well, they probably don't have to now because the agents do all the deals anyway. Well, exactly. But, You're talking with your scouts that you know from, like, keep in mind, Dale has a lot of connections around the National League. Sure. So he's he's calling those guys, hey, who, who am I looking at? Who do, who do you like from overseas? Because they're the ones that are paying scouts over there. I, so they're using a lot of the relationships yeah. that you have. That's where the relationship scouting comes in. I can always come back to the story that Steve Spott told about drafting Gabriel Landeskog in the import draft. And that itself was a very interesting circumstance because it was Ricard Raquel that came to the Rangers that then got flipped to Plymouth who had drafted Landeskog and then Landeskog came to Kitchener. Oh, I thought it was Thomas Tatar. Sorry, Tatar. Okay. Yes, not Raquel. Thomas Tatar. Uh, But Steve Spott was over in Europe with Hockey Canada, saw Landeskog play the game. And it's Steve's story. It's it's actually a lot like, um, uh, oh my goodness, Erie Otter's Maxim Golak? No, no, no. You, yeah, I'm so, me, you got to give me a year I or have something. Four, you just no. give me a franchise. Yes. You know, Sherry Basson, Farwell. I'm on Alex four DeBrica. hours. No. Oh. Yeah, it's, but I was thinking of Sherry. Sherry oh, okay. would, could, could spin a yarn, right? We all know oh, that. Of course. So his story of going to see Alex Debrinkit play at some rinky-dink rinkies. Well, I didn't have any socks on. I didn't know I was walking in my shoes in a snowstorm and blah, blah, you know. Spotter, same story, right? About, oh, I saw him play in Europe. I saw him lay this one hit. I knew I had to have this kid. I don't know how much of it is exaggeration to fill out the story, but that's kind of the idea. But you have to you have to be there mm-hmm. unless you're going to find somebody else that's there watching it for you. Yeah, and that's some, of the po- that's some of the benefits you get when you are part of Team Canada and you do go overseas, much like these coaches at the 
World Junior Tournament coming up here any day are over there and they'll be seeing some players a I little guess. a little better. But you also trust, especially nowadays, a lot of those games are broadcasted. Right? There's ways you can watch them online I'm and not th- a there's fan ways you can get them and you you can see them without actually having an arm in Sweden or Finland you, or though, wherever. Yeah, you can't, but can you really? I'm I'm a huge believer. You have to see it with your own eyes. Well, that's what I mean. You can watch it. No, no. No, no. You have to be in the ring ah. because the camera, even if it's a stationary camera, you know, locked off at the top of the rink, is not showing you what... You, you want to watch a player, you want to watch that player. So do you think every Ontario Hockey League and Canadian Hockey League general manager or scout is sending someone over to Russia, Finland, Czech Republic... Uh, Sweden every year to go. Okay, go watch these five kids. No, but do they do they have uh, you know somebody that gets some sort of contracted role to to follow that those leagues? I don't, I don't so. know. I I don't think so. No, I think it's all relationship drafting and what you're hearing from scouts, agents, and guys who have been over there, whether it be with Team Canada or Team USA. You're getting connections there or NHL guys. Hey, who do you like here? Who do you like here? Because you and I see it all the time. Scouts are at every game, and they're talking to the general manager. They're talking to the head coach. Hey, what's this player like? What's this player like? Okay, well, what did you think? Hey, who you like in the import draft? I think a lot of it's just a crapshoot. You go, ah, I heard this guy might be good. Let's take him. See what happens. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, well, you know what you're going to lose, which is a lot out of your bank account, the way this draft works. Fair. That's if they report. It's a mess. It is it's a, a little bit messy. Um, also, on, on the heels of that... Um, What's you? You mentioned the forty-five shots for Owen Sound and Kitchener the other night up in Owen Sound. You think that was for real? Yeah, I think it was pretty close to for real. I I remember one night up in Owen Sound. Uh, I thought the numbers had been inflated in Owen Sound's favor. Like um, the, the the Rangers, who we broadcast for, had been given credit for more shots than they actually had, but. A member of the Rangers video staff was nearby, and I checked with him, and he said, no, it's pretty close to my count, too. So, um, And, and I, I felt as though, I mean, you, you can only get so much of a sense because we've got so many other things going on. It's not like we're tracking shots, but mm-hmm. it, it, it felt like a 45-shot-a-piece kind of game. But I, I've been giving this a lot of thought, too, and, and I, I'd, I'd like to think that in 2019, we, we changed something in the Ontario Hockey League. So maybe moving ahead to 2020, we want to change something else. Well, I think we... The thing you're alluding to with change is the three stars. The league sent out a memo telling teams to pick the three stars with more transparency and integrity. Um, Mark Edwards with HockeyProspect.com put it out online. Good guy, that guy. Great guy. um, About the shot clock and how shot clocks around. He doesn't even pay attention to save percentage with Ontario Hockey League goaltenders because the shot clock's a mess. That's how teams look at stats. Save percentage, goals against average, wins. What else do you talk about with a goaltender? That's it. Mainstream stats. But it all revolves around that shot clock. People who are doing the shot clock in this league need to be doing it with more integrity because you're ruining kids' opportunities or boosting the numbers of players that maybe shouldn't be getting those opportunities. The funny thing about this is I find it remarkably similar to the three-star argument. What you have are people, and they might get 50 bucks a game or 100 bucks. I don't know what they get paid. They might be there, and, and their payment is a meal in the media room and a free hockey game. I don't know. But they're basically hired in some capacity by the home team, and they watch the game through a homer's lens. Of course. And they think they're doing their team a service by well, they counting are. more shots. or ca- That's let, the thing. No, let me tell you. I've always remembered this. This was a thing. It got stuck in Don Cameron's craw like you wouldn't believe in Saginaw, notoriously. Now, this goes back a number of years when Don and I were on the circuit together, but they would they would count fewer shots, and it would infuriate Don. He would get so frustrated by it because he would say, you're hurting your mm-hmm. own goaltender's save percentage. Exactly. Right? He, he made 20 saves, but you're giving him credit for 16. Yep. Like, stop it. So I think it goes both ways. They think they're helping uh, more often than not. You're right. They're trying to artificially inflate a player's, a goaltender's statistics. It's wrong. And all you have to do is the same as has been done with the three stars. Call it square. Like recognize that there is importance to your job. You're not just there as a fan. You are there to accurately count shots on goal. I completely agree. Just do your job properly. This goes for every team in the league. Do your job properly. 
properly because you are affecting players' stats, and that's what people look at. Yes, the eye test goes a long way, but everyone knows if you see if you see a couple. Uh, we talked with Jimmy Sandlack. He'd said six times is when I can really get a good idea as to what a player is. Well, if he sees Jacob Ingham six times and Ingham has five good games and one mediocre game, but he still likes him. He thinks, you know what, this kid could be something. And then he's following along throughout the league and his save percentage is 890. He's probably not putting his neck out on the line. But if his save percentage is 924, then he's got an easier case. He's probably seeing him eight to ten times then. He wants to keep watching him. Just put the shots up when there's a shot on goal. It's pretty simple. If the home team has four, put four, not eight, because you want to make it seem like they had a better game or because you think, oh, you know what, that was a good shot. We should put it on there, even though it was blocked. That's not a shot. It's not a shot on goal. Figure it out because as much as the three stars thing is one thing, the shots on goal have a much bigger impact on the players on the ice and their future and what they're trying to accomplish it's a much bigger issue in this league than the three stars. Yeah, well, the three stars affects primarily the fans and yes. what their view of the game might be. You're right. But so, the, does, so does the shot clock, though. How many times in your post-game show sure. do you get people calling me like, oh, they got outshot again, or oh, they had 50 shots on goal. Yes, but there is a further impact to the player, the player's sure. statistics, what that means to the eye test when scouts or whatever are not in the building and they're just looking at the game mm-hmm. summaries, it's it's weird. But it comes down to, it comes down to integrity, and I wonder if the solution isn't the Ontario Hockey League or the Canadian Hockey League stepping in and putting its own people. Like, we've got now video replay that's getting checked out somewhere else. Maybe that's what they need to do. They need to find a person that gets $100 a game, not from the Owen Sound attack, but from the Ontario Hockey League to do the job correctly yeah they might need to hire the people in each city or get the team to say i want you to hire someone here's your hundred dollars a game sure we'll pay for it but i get that like the league gets the right to can them if they're not doing it with integrity because it is affecting players and at the end of the day that's what this league is supposed to be for is to promote those players and move them on to the professional ranks and if you got a guy up in the press box who's eating french fries drinking pop with a backwards ball cap on, talking to his girlfriend on text, probably not doing his job. That's a great way to look at it. And if you are listening to this podcast and you do track shots or you know somebody who does, it's not hard. If the puck was going in the net without the goalie there, it's a shot on goal. It's pretty simple stuff. Pretty simple. Just do Um, your job. Someone brought up a great point online too. The video guys go back and look. And they uh, to make sure that the right players got the assist because we're worried about their points, but we're not worried about the goaltenders. Why not? Why not? Says a goalie. Well, Tip true. All right. I'm worried. You're worried about a secondary assist on whether a guy tapped it with his stick, ten, you know, thirty, forty feet away from the play five minutes ago. He might get a secondary assist, but we can't worry about the shots. You're affecting kids at this point. Notice has been served. This is the mountain we will climb and the issue we will tackle and remedy in calendar 2020. Shout out Mark Edwards. You you found me a high horse and I'm going to sit on it for the rest of the year. Okay, listen, I had my three stars high horse. Yeah. Shots. Uh, come down. Popers on the shot clock. Hey, you want to take some time off for Christmas? Yes. Okay. I do, please. Why don't we do that? Okay. I, real quick, a little bit annoyed. Like Ontario Hockey League, you know I love you. You know I do. Why are you doing this to us? Aaron Cooney, last Saturday, signs off for Christmas. Yeah. Saturday, which was the uh, the, the 14th. Says, I'll see you in 12 days. <laughs> Larry Malott signs off on Sunday, the 15th. I'll see you in 12. Shut up. That's a terrible impression of Cooney and yeah, Malott. I know. I'm sorry, guys. I, I love you as, <laughs> almost as much as the league. But holy Hannah. And here we're going right up until Friday the 20th. And then we come back on Saturday the 28th. No rest for the wicked. Ah, we get a couple days. You're doing this to us on purpose. You We've think? ruffled some feathers in yeah, well, office, I think. We also have a New Year's Eve game in Erie at 6. Again, I say, we're being punished for something. But would you rather have the New Year's Eve night game or the New Year's Day game that we had in Peterborough? Fair point. I'll take the New Year's Eve in Erie. I will too. Next time, if you don't mind, start it at 4. I t- couldn't agree with you more. Give right. me a noon start. Let everybody spill out into the streets of Erie 
and All ready to revel, go. and we'll get on a bus, and we'll be home before midnight. Right? Wouldn't but that be anyway. nice? Uh, let us know if you want us to talk about something in the new year, or if you hated the podcast throughout the f- 2019. You can let us know that, too. Absolutely. Farwell and Pope at gmail.com. Farwell underscore OHL and underscore Chris Pope on the Twitters. Leave us a review on the podcast app that you listen from, whatever the case may be. We're happy to read what you have to say, and we will come back on Friday, January the 3rd, with a new episode. With a vengeance. Shot clock on our radar for 2020. Maybe. I think I'm gone that Friday. I'm coming back on the Friday. I might have to push it till the next week. I'm down in Pennsylvania as of New Year's Eve till the 3rd. We have hockey games, Pulper. Don't you worry about it. No, the 3rd. Well, we'll get you by phone. Okay. We'll figure it out. Oh, that'll be good. We're coming back Friday from, the 3rd. From Erie, PA. <laughs> the stuff I go through for you. First, I take the guy that doesn't put ketchup on his french fries to Owen Sound. And now we're working around your schedule because you want to stay in Pennsylvania to celebrate 2020. In Erie, PA. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Merry Christmas. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.